We are go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Galactic Travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And we are back from Creatures Con. Bob and I had the good fortune of visiting Creatures Con again this year, 2019, we were there last year. We met a lot of uh, new friends this year who returned, and it was uh, very, very cool to meet some of our listeners. Thank you guys for coming by the table, introducing yourselves, and uh, giving us compliments and comments. Um, yeah, I was, those I was totally who- amazed. We had listeners. It was great. <laughs> you always wonder point, if there's Bob- people. You always wonder if there's people out there, you know, other than you know, Ido or somebody. He, he did. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Bob did keel over in his chair. We had to, Ensign Debbie and I had to pick him back up. Uh, our our uh, reconnaissance officer was uh, recovering from some Plan 9 um, flu. Um, <laughs> was it Plan I, 9? I don't know if it was Plan 9, Plan 10, <laughs> Plan 37. Well, you know, those buggers from Planet 9, they, they try to get the... Uh, gremlins in the workings all the time so it was it was pretty uh pretty bad though so i was sorry that i couldn't beam down to creatures con and hang out with you guys and lord blood raw and everybody else oh yeah it was a lot of fun it, it sounded like it so uh what all did you guys see who did you talk to well we had ensign debbie joining the team um to, to oh, yes. help out yes I have, so. I have met ensign debbie she's wonderful she is wonderful we'll have to have her on air one of these days um but first we got to talk with uh mike mccreary now mikey he he runs um mantiques isn't that right bob out in um the out bay area in, uh, niles district out of niles Fremont, Canyon california district and it's an, and it's an amazing store, really, because it has everything from toys to tools to taxidermy to yeah. anything you could possibly want as a man looking for antiques. 
it, it is really cool. I, I, I've walked in there a number of times and I'm like, well, you know, I'll just go in and look. And I always walk out with something, whether it's 7-Eleven Slurpee cups or a Star Trek uh, puzzle or uh, or a piece of taxidermy. Hey, you know, who doesn't need a bear head in their home? So that's uh, right. But yeah, no, we were able to talk to Mike because he was at Creatures Con debuting his uh, Mecha Creech. Yes, that Mecha Creech. Imagine, if you will, taking a, a, a piece of vinyl, making a figure out of it, but not just making a creature from the Black Lagoon figure or a Mecha Godzilla figure, but making a twofer version of the Creech and Mecha Godzilla. You These come up with a, a Mecha Creech figure. Things. I kid you not. It's beyond um, imagining. He took all his favorite stuff and put it all into a figure, which he is selling. And and he does talk about it in this interview that we did at Creatures Con. Yes. Oh, well, let's hear the interview. Let's. And we are at Creatures Con 2019. I'm sitting here with our friend of the podcast, Mike. Uh, by my side, as always, is Bob. And with the Venusian uh, virus, Karen is MIA, quarantined to the satellite. Hey, Don't. let's get uh, right into it with Mike. Mike? What is up, guys? How y'all doing? So nice to have you here. Oh, so stoked to be here at Creature Con with everybody. Such vi- positive vibes going on. A lot of cool vendors. Oh, yeah. Lots of cool toys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of cool toys, my friend, not not that it's a toy, but who do you have uh, here uh, at Creatures Con this with you today? This is basically what I figure. got today. I brought down my Mecha Creech. Uh, Mecha Creech is basically kind of an original concept I've had over mm-hmm. the last two years. Things that I've grown up with as a kid that have influenced me. Uh, and st- basically still influenced me today. Right. Uh, anything from the creature, uh, the Black Lagoon, I got, you know, Mecha Godzilla in there. Uh, DJing has been a major influence to me, mm. you know, growing up. Music, obviously, for a lot of people. Um, I've got, like, the screaming hands in there. I know for, You know, uh, obviously, the uh, the Powell and Santa Cruz have been a major influence to me skateboarding all my life with a lot of us, you know, growing up. So, sure, sure. Um, you know, this is basically a major dream come true for me so never thought it would really happen but I met the right people and the right artists network with good people man and and it came to be and we've talked about this before we started recording but to have something that you imagine and draw and work on and whatnot get put out in three dimension like I mean this and we'll put the the picture up on the uh blogspot page and and facebook and twitter but this is like such a beautiful piece of art i appreciate you know? that uh, the um, time quality uh, that the artist put into this the sculptor um it, it's amazing scott uh martin thomas basically was my sculptor that put it together yeah. um, uh, rick is inside actually that was my original um artist that drew up some sketches um so there was more people involved with it than just me yeah so but together we created kind of my 
my vision, um, my lifetime vision, basically. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm stoked. Well, I'm did, very did stoked. you originally have like a concept? Like, did you do a concept drawing, or did you just kind of yeah, tell? Yeah, I did. I basically do something with all this stuff in it. I did basically a concept drawing first. I had the right. idea of what I wanted to do. Like, I obviously I wanted creature because he's kind of been always one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Godzilla and Mecha Godzilla. Godzilla was my favorite. Mecha, I think, worked better because you know how I wanted creature popping out, yeah, kind of right. like the the Godzilla effect. So you could right. get two versions. Um, so all I did was do a couple sketches, little notes, sent out to my artist. He did a couple sketches, some more notes sketches notes you know back and forth back and oh, forth yeah. until boom we created this so it, it it's like i said again it's a very humbling uh, ride that it's been on this last you know couple years from concept to sketch to actually having it in hand but then you had to go back and you had to find Oh. People to mold it and people to make it. Yes. And that, how, did you, how did you bring all that together? Well, I mean, that what helped me a lot was designer con. When I did uh, a designer con, is I, I found myself I walked around a lot and networked with a lot of people that had right. similar um, ideas or similar figures. And I, it took a while to actually get that right person because quite a few people, literally, if I got a couple companies that did this, you wouldn't have saw this yet. A lot of companies are on three-year, four-year, mm. even longer wait. So what I opted to is I found a nice little almost independent company that does really good pours, and they did a phenomenal job. And the turnover was literally only four months. Wow. So and to have that yeah. thick of a vinyl and that quality of a vinyl and for that much of a turnover, it was well worth it. Well worth it. Yeah, no. So, yeah. How large, did, of, a, how large of a run did you do? Excuse me again? How large of a run did you do? Um, well, what I'm doing is I'm doing a few different painted, um, uh, vinyl painted versions. Or not painted, I just vinyl color versions, I should say. Um, so the first one that was released was white. Um, and that one sold out. Uh, green is the next one, which I'm in the process of selling now. I do have a couple other colors in the process. But those are kind of like one of those hidden secrets that I'm going to let out slowly right. to people. Um, yeah, I don't want to show all my cards right off the bat. You know, I want to give a few people some surprises. Especially yeah. for like decon coming up uh, Son of Palooza I'm trying to do that um, some more monster conventions and just show off the Mecha Creech to people that actually like it uh, the reception to him so far has been outstanding and I thank everybody for that That's it's pretty awesome that is cool yeah, let, let me sure. ask you so for those folks who can't make it out to the cons how can they get a hold of you I mean are you on Instagram Facebook uh, web uh, page. I mean, what you, you know, there's a few different routes you can go. I'm definitely on Instagram a lot. Um, I'm Swarms uh, underscore COD. Um, you can find me there. I'm also Michael McCreary on Facebook. That's that's me. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, but also, you can if you're ever in the Fremont Niles area, I actually run a shop, Mantiques, for the last nine years with a, a nice crew of mine, um, cool. and we carry antiques, toys, um, and you can always talk to me there about getting a, a mech. A creature in your hands. Cool. Well, after talks. this podcast, I'm going to talk to you about getting one of these. <laughs> I like that. I like that, man. I like that. Uh, it, it really is awesome. <laughs> I definitely appreciate you guys' support. It definitely means a lot. Hey, uh, thank you for taking some time. Uh, I know you're at the show today having yeah. some fun. It's a blast. Um, it was good to talk to you. And uh, at some point in the future, we'll have you back on. I know I would we were love talking about to be on the show. Yeah. Love definitely. what you guys are doing and uh, keep it rocking, you guys, for sure. Thank you. Appreciate thank you, guys. It. Appreciate right. it. Thanks, Mike. Later, guys. Take care. <laughs> so, yeah, Mike was a lot of fun, but uh, we also caught up with friend of the show, C. Andrew Nelson, who was on uh, last year's podcast talking about yep. his role as Darth Vader. 
Yeah, he was a lot of fun to talk to. And and let's not forget his Tropical Fish channel on YouTube. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Which, uh, which he which he still has running. But but this go round. But I digress. He actually, uh, Bob. He he spoke to us about um, theme parkology, and uh, he he does these videos with them about theme park attractions and rides. So Disneyland, Disney World, Universal Studios. Um, he actually shared one of the DVDs with me, and I'll have to share with you guys of the Pirates of the Caribbean. From its conception to inception to execution, there are these cool photos of uh, Walt riding the boat before the facades were built. And it just gets into the history of the ride and what they thought it would be to where it is today. And well, I'm, that sounds I'm, really I'm interesting. He so he must be a, a real fan of uh, theme parks to get involved with this, huh? He is. And and in our interview, he kind of gets into the background of the first time he went to Disneyland with his family and how that had an impact on uh, not just his life, but his career. Um, so, Bob, let's let's give that a listen. Let her roll. And we are back here at Creatures Con and uh, Chief Engineer Bob. Uh, we have a special guest with us. We have a returning guest. A returning guest. And who might that guest be? That's None C. other than... C. Andrew Nelson. That's C. Andrew right. Nelson. That's me. That's right. Now, Look at that. Uh, I'm back. You, it seems like it's been about a year. Yes, it has been. And last, has last been. year we yes. talked heavily about Darth Vader. Well, I remember right. fish. Yes. Yes, and fish. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And YouTube. And... and uh, big fan of that so but uh, you have something new to talk to us about yeah I'm working on a, on a fun new project uh, there's a company called theme parkology and they produce a, a whole series of different uh, documentaries on theme park attractions and the history of them and the making of them a lot of Disney stuff Universal that sort of thing oh, okay. and uh, Jerry Cornell who runs that company he asked me if I would be the editor for an upcoming documentary that they're doing on the history and the making of the pavilions from the 1964-65 New York World's Fair wow. that, that eventually became you know, what we know now as Great Moments of Mr. Lincoln yeah. <laughs> and uh, Carousel of Progress. A carousel of Progress. And the uh, Magic Skyway, which became the primeval world at Disneyland. That's right. And of course, it's a small world. <laughs> And this was a really big watershed moment for uh, for Disney and for theme parks in general. There, yeah. when the, this was the big unveiling of audio animatronic technology. I, I read there was a lot of work that went oh, into yeah. just the design and the execution mm -hmm. and everything to have it ready in time for the World's Fair. Yes. And then I I wasn't ever quite clear if Uncle Walt had a plan to bring that stuff to Disneyland. Or he just kind of figured, well, we got to do something with it. Let's incorporate it into the park. No, I think he knew uh, he, that. He had oh, a yes, plan. I, I can use this. I can right. repurpose this for later. You know, they, you know, it's not like he built it and then somebody was going to take it somewhere else and it couldn't stay there. Of yeah. course. So, yeah. Uh, but oh yeah, he he already had plans to give it a home. So is this something that you just kind of like decided or spoke to some folks and you're going to get into? Or have you always been a fan of like the history of not just Disneyland no. but like Universal or? Yeah you know, theme parks in general. Oh, I've always been a theme park fanatic. In fact, I wouldn't be 
an actor or a visual effects artist or an animator or, or anything like that if it wasn't for my first visit to Disneyland in, in 1968. Oh, that's cool. I was six years old. Now you all know how old I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I went there for the first time. And, you know, as most of the time, if a six-year-old kid goes to a place like Disneyland, they, you know, they, get, they buy into the magic of it. Oh, this is where Mickey and Minnie live. Yay. Yeah. You know, I wasn't like that as a kid. I looked around and I realized this is all make-believe. This is all pretend. This is storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by that. It was like I wanted to know who made this place, how did they make it, and how can I do this too? So I started learning. That was like my, my artistic awakening as an, as an artist. Uh, you know, I, I started uh, then learning about uh, acting and learning about magic and, and, and makeup oh, and cool. costumes and lighting and effects and storytelling and filmmaking and animation, all of that, all because of that first trip to Came Disneyland and every other trip that we did year after year. We'd make the, you know, the annual cool. pilgrimage. Did, did you ever like get, have a part-time job? I know like Steve Martin. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You, know, no. you ever have a... No, because I didn't live in the area. We, oh, I, we lived okay. here in, this, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, okay. And, but I, uh, you know, I came close. I thought about it. I actually, at one point, I auditioned for the uh, what became the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular at Walt Disney World, yeah. at, at what was called the Disney MGM Studios back then. Right. And I had auditioned for it, and I was actually a finalist for the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, wow. Um, it was also the time that I met my wife. <laughs> so I'm glad it fe fell through. As yeah. much as I would have yeah. loved to have done it, I f it fell through, and I was able to meet my wife well, and I'm, get I'm married. I'm sure but, you're better off for yeah. it. So. But, you know, flash forward many years later, I've actually done work for the parks. I've uh, did some early consulting on what became uh, uh, Pirate's Lair at Tom Sawyer Island oh. at Disneyland. And I also worked on uh, the uh, World of Color show. Nice. Yeah, so very you know, good. With visuals that get projected up on the big water screens. There. Yeah, it's yeah. very impressive. I've seen it a couple and a couple different uh, versions of it as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's interesting because I know with like Fantasmic, you have at Disneyland. I know mm -hmm. Disney World has like a big yeah. auditorium for it, but Disneyland you had to incorporate that show into existing, mm -hmm. you know, part of the park. With California yeah. Adventure, did you have a little more leeway with? how they set up the fountains and the projectors, you know, because they kind of yeah. like tailored that lagoon to that show with, yeah. with the roller coaster yeah. behind it and whatnot. I mean, Actually, it was reworked the other way because when they first built that lagoon, they had no concept of of, uh, oh. of that because that all came part. It was just before they started doing the big makeover of California Adventure. You know what? That's right. Yeah. That's and right. so they took advantage of it. I think that's one of the things that's, that makes Disneyland and and. and and California Adventure and the whole Disneyland Resort so different from all the others is because it, it's got a more organic feel to it. Things mm -hmm. grew out of necessity. You know, it's a smaller park, but it has a, a different feel to it, a different vibe because it you had to make the most of what was there yeah. in every aspect of it. And, and the same thing goes for World of Color. You know, they, they took that whole setting of, wow, we've got the backdrop of, of, the, uh, of the roller coaster. We've got, you know, the, the, the big, you know, wheel with Mickey's face on it. Right. We can we can incorporate that into the show. Yeah, well, so. it's cool. And, you know, it's you make mention that the parks are smaller mm -hmm. and it it feels um, it feels more organic and less like a resort. And I'm yeah. not saying that resort is a bad word. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I, Disney World is great. You get to take a, mm -hmm. the monorail or a boat or a, or right. a bus or whatever. It's it's very well organized, mm -hmm. but there's just something, especially Disneyland. Yeah, you know that walk in the footsteps of Walt, if yeah. you will. Uh, there's that part of it, but 
they built on that legacy yes. to the point where it just reinvents itself. So there's always that memory that you have of going to the park as a six-year-old right. or sure. whatever, but then you can share that then with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse or your kids. They, they mm -hmm. do that so well. Absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to this series that you're going to be working on. Yeah. Um, if people want to find out about it, they can go to themeparkology.com. Okay. So we're going to be uh, working on it soon and uh, we're gathering the, the interviews now. We're, we're going to have interviews with a lot of the Imagineers that worked on these okay. attractions. Bob Gurr has already done an interview for us so because he, he helped design a lot of this stuff mm. um, and others. And uh, it should be uh, released, the, the, the DVD should be released sometime in the fall, probably around uh, October. Okay. So, yeah. So, in time for Christmas. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that's great. great. Uh, Were there any theme parks uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area that you frequented? Oh, yeah. Or? When I was growing up, of course, you know, I went to, I remember uh, Great America when right. it was, you know, a brand new uh, park. It was called Marriott's Great America. Marriott's it was sponsored Great by America. them. This was right. Marriott's uh -huh. and Paramount. Yeah. I and remember Frontier Village, if anybody can oh, yeah. go back that I far. I remember yeah. Frontier, Frontier Village Santa's, uh, what was it? The, Santa's uh, Village. Santa's yeah. Village. Yeah. And then the Lost World, which is behind Oh, that. yes. I never that got to see mine. the Lost World, yeah, though. That's yeah, a, yeah. My parents would take me out to uh, Santa's Village. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want the Lost World. Yeah. They had, and I think all the, I don't know where the dinosaurs went from there. Yeah. <laughs> I know that the trees all went to like Bonfante Gardens right. and, yeah. and all that. But mm -hmm. yep. yeah, they had all these uh, huge fiberglass dinosaurs. Yeah. Okay. You know, I think my father took me there yeah. once. We used to go to all these different things. We'd go to like yeah. the, the mystery spot and right. places like that. You know, always these fun <laughs> little, you know, roadside things and yeah. theme parks and that sort of thing. But yeah, so I, I've been fascinated by this type of thing for, you know, my whole life. Will, will you guys um, maybe delve into those smaller parts, like maybe Playland? I know oh, yeah. they, they've had some videos of mm -hmm. Playland at the beach. Right. Um, Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, you know, some of the smaller parks. Yeah. Not necessarily the, the universal. Yeah, well, Santa so Cruz forth. Beach Boardwalk would be a great one because it's got such an interesting history. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been around for, you know, ages and ages and still has, you know, a classic, you know, wooden coaster there. It's oh, yeah. still yeah. around. Yeah, mm -hmm. that'll be cool. And we have, uh, or uh, Jerry, uh, who uh, runs the company there, he has already done a documentary on on Frontier Village, so that's there. Oh, okay, great. So, I, uh, and I've been keep telling him, you, know, you should do one on Santa's Village because uh, <laughs> at least the people here in the, you know, in, in this area, they know it and everything. Well, pu push him towards the Lost World. <laughs> All right, I will, I will. But he's got some coming out on, on Universal that'll be right. uh, coming up soon and some more Disneyland ones okay. too as well. Great. And like I said, I'm, I'm working on this one for him. I did one uh, about two years ago. I, I was editor and did all the animated titles for a documentary on the making a history of Pirates of the Caribbean, oh. which has been a, a big uh. bestseller. And, and it's that really influenced me. And a lot of people don't realize how influential that ride was not just in the entertain, not just in the the uh, the theme park industry, but the entire entertainment industry, the film industry. People like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have said they became filmmakers because they rode on Pirates of the Caribbean. Wow! It's a very yeah. cinematic ride. You have to understand that another thing that makes Disneyland so different is that it was designed and built by filmmakers. Yeah. Actual filmmakers. All these people: Mark Davis, John Hench, all these designers. Right. They came from a background in film. Right. You know, and so Pirates is something that is very cinematic. You can actually ride the ride facing backwards, and it's still a full, complete ride. You might occasionally get, like, a spotlight in your face, but, yeah. but yeah. It, it is still a full ride. It has that very cinematic quality. That well, is that's, a great Yeah, that's point. the thing about Disneyland, because it's like, whether it's Pirates of the Caribbean, 
or the Haunted Mansion, yep. or even now the Indiana Jones ride. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's just you're going through all these scenes and all these different you know stories yeah. as you go through. And that's very, very important. Yeah. They do it so well. They do. Um, yeah. It's definitely much different than just riding a roller coaster or mm -hmm. something like yeah, that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, look, we, we look forward to um, catching up with you and watching this. Yeah. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, and thank you. And play. We'll see you next year. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I hope we'll see each other before that. But, uh, and if people want to find out more about me, they can yeah, go to cnnelson.com. Or if they want to see what you mentioned earlier, my uh, my, my fishiness, uh, I have a YouTube channel that's all about tropical fish because that's the hobby that keeps me from going bonkers hey, you know, go. in this this crazy entertainment industry. It's and it's called Aquatasy, A-Q-U-A-T-A-S-Y. You can it, find that on YouTube. It's a lot of fun, too. I highly recommend it. It's, it's uh, oh, kind of tranquil. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, thanks right. for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah. Enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. And the force is strong with you. All right. <laughs> well, thank you. See, I told you, Karen, wasn't that cool? That was pretty cool, Larry. So we were fortunate enough to get Struffin Taylor. Um, Struffin, the man, the myth, uh, sat down. We didn't have time for him last year, but he sat down this year and he shared a lot of insight into what goes on with taking the Bay Area um, horror show that they had uh, back in the day called Creepy Coffee Movie Time and moving it onto the Amazon Prime video platform and uh, what that all entails. The other thing Streffen works on is documentaries. And so he's done stuff on Playland at the Beach, um, San Francisco cable cars, uh, the, the Ackermansion, Forrest J. Ackerman, um, you name it. Uh, if it's genre related, he's, he's done something. He also worked with Tom Worsh. Um, who was putting on this year's Creatures Con with Lord Blood Raw, and we've had him on the show uh, as well, uh, Tom. So uh, it was a lot of fun and, and very interesting. Uh, yeah, he also does a, did a uh, documentary on Jack Pierce, the Universal yeah. Monster Makeup Artist. That's who, right. Uh, was responsible for every. Well, he didn't do Dracula's makeup, but he did you know the Wolfman and the Mummy and Frankenstein and all that. Mm -hmm. So. Between all the documentaries he's done, uh, the November Fire site, which is uh, which you can get all his videos at, as well as just numerous, numerous T-shirts, even Sci-Fi Japan, hint, hint. And <laughs> uh, yeah, so Streffen did. He sat down with us and graciously gave us a really good interview. So uh, let's yeah, roll that well. one. Well, Bob, I, I really can't believe after over 30 episodes and over a year of podcasting, this is the first time we have Streffen uh, Taylor here on the uh, the show with us. Yeah, well. So here we, here we are at Creatures Con. Hello, and thank you, sir, for sitting down with us. No problem. Um, straight away, want to get into Creepy Coffee movie time. All right. You and I talked off mic, and you were saying you're working on getting that all set up on Amazon Prime? Yeah, right now we're working on um, the uh, standard definition. Uh, half the seasons, there was 10 seasons all together. Half of them were uh, shot in standard definition. Uh -huh. So right now we're working on getting those on DVD and also up on uh, Amazon. Uh, season 6 through 10 are high definition, so we're sh kind of shopping those around for another outlet because those can still be aired um, oh. on television. So uh, we're, we're trying to find a home for those right now. That's great. Okay, cool. Since this is not a uh, local podcast, we're potentially everywhere. So for people in Pascagoula, Mississippi, or Portland, Oregon, or whatever, 
Maybe or, or on Planet 7. Or whatever. <laughs> Maybe you can explain a little bit about what Creepy Coffee Movie Time was and how it came to be and, and your involvement in it. Okay, so Creepy Coffee Movie Time uh, was a late-night horror host TV show. So, we, of course, we had this, the normal, if you're, if you're familiar with um, horror host shows, generally speaking, we have public domain films, the same ones you've seen a million times. And uh, then there was a hosting segments between uh, the, the film. Uh, those hosting segments uh, were by uh, two characters. It was a demon named Balrock with his uh, human sidekick uh, uh, named No Name, who was a zombie. And the uh, zombie was basically trying to teach uh, Balrock the demon the ways of humans um, <laughs> on Earth. Well, yes, on, yeah, well. <laughs> on this plane. And, um, but the, the brilliant thing about Creepy Coffee Movie Time is that it, was, it has a very adult angle to it. So we will have um, uh, a thing called Cave Girls. So there will be uh, scantily clad girls that hang out on the set, uh, hanging out with the, the, get, the hosts. And then we also interview uh, local um, personalities, including our Bob Johnson here was on there Who, for what? a Bay Area film events. <laughs> and, uh, and also there was lots and lots of different um, local talent that came on including burlesque dancers, magicians, uh, lots of bands. So we'd have live music as well. Uh, we ended up having a, a live uh, band, a set band named the De called The Deadlies, who you can find on, on the internet as well. So that's basically what Creepy Coffee Movie Time was. Um, and you can find it on Amazon Prime. So if you look up Creepy Coffee Movie Time on uh, Amazon, you can take a gander at it and see uh, what we were doing. Now this and, is uh, Coffee with a K, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's uh, K-O-F-F-E-E. Uh, so why, why it's Creepy Coffee Movie Time and it's, uh, Coffee K-O-F-F-E-E is because when, we shot, when it was shot, the original uh, whole series was shot on a, a local TV station in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area called Coffee TV 20. It was K-O-F-Y TV 20. So when the rights were got given back to um, No Name uh, for the show, uh, the easiest way to get around um, editing out the coffee station was to just make it into a coffee drink and use K instead of C. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of confusing, but it's still weird enough that it matches the show's weirdness because the show is weird. So it, it seemed it like a good transition. Weird in a fun way and. Bay Area kids grew up, we all know, Bob and I talk about creature features all the time. Um, it, it was fun in that you guys didn't try to put on Bob or John's shoes. You brought your own shoes to the party and you made it your own thing. And it, it, if you guys out there listening haven't had the chance of watching a program, check it out. It was a lot of fun. Um, the movies were craptacular. But it was the guests, like you said, who came on, be it a magician, slob on the spot, had great information. I saw Bob's episode when he came on. This one, Bob, we're, we're kind of friends, but we weren't podcasting yet. Who was um, that guy? <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and it still is a lot of fun. So I encourage the listeners to check it out. Um, Streffen here is is very talented filmmaker, actually. Uh, I have many of your DVDs. Uh, known him for a couple of years, just coming to shows, and eventually started to get to know each other better through all the interactions that shows. Um, you know, the the Halloween DVD that you came out with that that was a lot of fun. It was different. It's something that I haven't seen before. Can you get into the inspiration behind that? I mean, what, it, it starts as an idea. Was it your wife or you who thought, well, let, let's talk about Halloween and, and how do we present that in a way that hasn't been presented before? Okay, so yeah, it's a, I make documentary films 
and and this one is definitely not a documentary. My first intention was to make a documentary on Halloween, mm. but as you start doing research on the history of Halloween, it becomes incredibly murky. There's been people that put out documentaries in the past or put out History Channel type shows yeah. on Halloween, but the more you dig into it, the more those are wildly incorrect, um, and it's really hard to nail down exactly how and why we celebrate or the world in different ways celebrate a festival of the dead or a ha Halloween. Mm -hmm. So that frustrated me as a filmmaker and I, I would always wanted to do something on Halloween. And uh, so my thought came to me is like, okay, I mean, I know what Halloween means to me and I know like talking to like older generations, I know it, it means slightly different things to them. And then I thought, well, with the modern technology and modern age and kids with their iPads and, and you know, and instant access to everything and, right. and YouTube, that, that Halloween's got to be wildly different in their concept than ours, right? Mm -hmm. Than mine, I mean, at my age. And so uh, then we deci I decided to interview children about what Halloween meant to them. And so we interviewed a bunch of children about what Halloween meant to them. And lo and behold, it pretty much meant the same to them as it does to me, yeah. which actually sidetracked everything I was going to plan. I was like, oh, it's going to be all this weird juxtaposition of like how crazy it is. The only thing that's kind of different with kids is they're more in tune with like The Walking Dead, so they're more into zombie stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but the witches are still there. The, the, you know, the skeletons are still there. The, all those things are still part of their Halloween uh, tradition, which is, you know, I guess that's on everything, all the, the um, decorations and stuff like that anyways. So uh, it kind of stopped what my first concept was, was to do with the film. Um, so I had the interviews and I had the concept and um, I'm also a collector of, once I started getting into a subject um, and Halloween was the subject at the time, I collected a massive amount of like uh, postcards, advertisements, old uh, vintage advertisements, um, decorations. And so I had all this material. I'm like, okay, I've got to do something with this. And um, I have a soundtrack band called Hobgoblin. And it's, I, I used to be in a thrash metal band in the Bay Area called Sacrilege BC. And I still am friends with a lot of people in the music um, scene. Mm -hmm. um, so I, when I started doing documentaries on my own, I, one of the biggest uh, stumbling blocks is uh, um, soundtracks. Uh, you have to pay a lot of money for, for soundtracks and for licensing music. So my workaround on that was to start a... Uh, soundtrack band called Hobgoblin and we would um, record our own soundtrack so therefore we don't have to license anything yeah um, and it, at the time uh, for uh, the I Believe in Halloween film I was I was trying to get that film done but I started working on a cable car documentary a San Francisco cable car documentary and so the Halloween kind of sat in the, the background but on the um, cable car documentary, I started working with uh, an artist named Brian Keogh, who's an old friend. Uh, he's, he's worked with uh, um, Les Claypool. He's in uh, Keogh Nation. He was in Merv. Uh, he's an incredible guitar player. And uh, so he worked with me on the soundtrack for Cable Cars. And while we're doing it, I was telling him about my Halloween thing. He goes, hey, I want to help you with the Halloween thing. And so then I just said, okay, what I'm going to do now is I'd collected all these uh, songs uh, from like um, uh, uh, school uh, records from the 70s mm -hmm. and uh, other Halloween inspired songs because what I normally do for a soundtrack is I'll go to the artist and go here's like kind of like an idea of what I want this to feel like Right. and uh, Brian sat down with it and he goes well why, why are we trying to make new pennies when we can pick up these nickels on the floor these songs are amazing let's just record these mm -hmm. so I looked into to, uh, licensing those songs and we recorded all the song all the songs for the for the movie and those became pretty much the driving force. So the film basically is music videos that are Halloween inspired, and then there'll be slideshows of like 
decorations, postcards, advertisements, then interviews with the little kids, and then old footage of like people trick or treating and uh, people in costume from even back to the 20s and 30s. Um, so that's basically how that film evolved into what it is. And uh, and it, I thought it came out fine, and, and I like it, and it it's something you can watch over and over again. And the soundtrack's probably the the, the heart of the entire thing. It worked so well. I was a fan of the soundtrack also. And, you know, it's, it's a different kind of Halloween music to get you in the mood uh, for the season. Um, and, and so that was your personal collection, a lot of those postcards and stuff. Yeah. Okay, and those were cool too because I remember some of that stuff, seeing it in like Woolworths or, yeah. you know, on display somewhere. That was a lot of fun. See, we're all aging ourselves now. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was great. And then... Uh, You've had other documentaries like Playland at the Beach. Uh, that was pretty amazing. Uh, that was with Tom Warsh, correct? Or yeah, that- I, yeah, I worked with Tom for right. Playland at the Beach. Yeah, it's, um, when uh, Tom Warsh did a documentary on uh, uh, Bob Wilkins, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And uh, when he did that, I, I approached him just to, to, to work on that film, but he had already much pretty much wrapped up what he was doing. And uh, in our conversations, I, I was like, "Are you going to do anything else?" And he's, he he uh, he had planned on doing something else. And he had uh, uh, he was either going to do it on Playland, or he had a, a film on a, a a man who travels in the future, um, which would have been a, more of a, an actual film rather than a documentary. I'm, I was interested in doing another document, uh, doing my first documentary. And uh, Tom at the time worked for um, Playland, not at the beach, which was an El Cerrito uh, amusement s- sort of building center that that had a lot of. Um, Artifacts from the original Playland uh, right. at the beach, and Playland at the beach was an old amusement park on the Great Highway in San Francisco that's now torn down. It was torn down in 1971, I think, but it was a staple and a landmark for years. And, and children of San Francisco, up to a certain point, all remember Playland. Yeah. And since he worked at that um, uh, building and that that uh, group, he had access to a massive amount of material. So I just said the the easy way to go, let's do Playland because we already have access to so much material and actually shooting a a real film compared to a documentary, which we already got a grasp on, was far easier to just go ahead and go on with a documentary. Yeah, that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, and it's, you know, I I assume it's difficult to get actual film footage. I know you've used a lot of stills and, and that, but... Uh. Yeah, and, and that's interesting with doing documentaries because now I've, I've done uh, I've done six or seven documentaries and I've done like 13 features, I think, all together. But with the documentaries that the Playland one, at least for me, opened, it, it's a, a weird experience because one, we had we had get we got that material from from the um, the uh, Playland group, but then when we finished the film and the film was 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 pretty successful for San Francisco, was we had a really long run and it was as points sold out. Um, people started coming out of the woodwork with like, oh, I got all this footage from Playland and all this stuff. It's like, okay, it's late, but okay, thanks. And then that it just clicked in my head. It's like, let's do Sutro Baths because uh, if you ever come to San Francisco, uh, there's ruins if you go out to uh, um, Land's Inn and they look like old like Roman type ruins. And, and um, if you've ever seen Harold and Maude, they run around in those ruins and they're, show, they're shown in a few films. But people are always like, what was there? And it was this really great bathhouse that uh, Adolf Sutro built. And um, so the next step was like, okay, we're getting all this material. Let's, the next move would be like, let's do one on, on Sutro's because that's, that's where we're getting the material from now. And since that progression, like now my last documentary um, for San Francisco history was on the San Francisco cable cars. And I'm able now to go to, locate, like go to um, film archives or go to people that have uh, photograph um, archives and bring them, you know, like here's four documentaries I've done in San Francisco history. 
can you help me? And they're normally at that point, yeah. the doors are wide, more right. wide, wide oh, open cool. than if you walk in cold and say, hey, I think I'm going to make a film. Yeah. Let's go. They're <laughs> yeah. going to go, go away because I get that every day. Uh, but if you walk in and say, I'm, I'm already doing this and here's go home watch that and then tell me if we have, can do something you yeah. get a lot more doors open so it does become a, a bit easier to start getting material that's great that I, think awesome. one, I think one of the documentaries that would have a lot of uh, a lot of interest in people listening to this podcast obviously would be Jack Pierce yeah uh, Jack Pierce uh, I did a, a documentary called Jack Pierce and Maker of Monsters um, and uh, it, I, I'd collected Jack Pierce material for probably 10 years. Mm. Uh, ever since I was a kid, first time I got like a famous monster film, and I opened it up, and there's a picture of Jack Pierce, you know, doing the makeup of Frankenstein. And I was like, who is this guy? And then, and it turns out he did everything for Universal. I mean, except for the the creature and and Bela Lugosi's Dracula makeup. He had a little bit of help on that, but other than that, he did all of the iconic creatures from uh, from Universal. And I mean those are still to this day some of the best makeups ever oh, historically yeah. absolutely and doing that just collecting the material and then uh, learning the history of, of Jack Pierce uh, I worked with uh, Scott Essman who is probably the most uh, historic he knows the most history about Jack Pierce and I got I connected with him and he helped me along but uh, on the, along the way I found out you just find more and more material it's like peeling an onion when you do a documentary and, and you start researching and uh, you learn I learned so much about who Jack Pierce was besides what he did uh, in in motion pictures and uh, yeah if you get a chance to see the film um, uh, uh, please do we saw it on DVD uh, I haven't gotten up on Amazon yet um, but I will at some point but uh, uh, he there's so much more to him and, and almost everything you know about Jack Pierce is not what is real I mean uh, there's so so much history and, and uh, the people said he's a grumpy old guy that got fired from Universal and stuff it's like no that the guy was genuinely a good guy and a sweet, probably a sweetheart if you were a hardworking artist, but if you were a uh, if you were just like <laughs> some jerk that come in and says, "Hey, I'm God's gift to the world," he was like he had no had yeah. no time for that because uh, he was old school Hollywood. I mean, he was old school Hollywood. But yeah, I love that film, and that that's one of my favorite films I ever made. Yeah, I, I had the good fortune of seeing it at the Niles Canyon. Uh theater or whatever when you uh, aired it out there on the, on semi big screen and it, you know, I got to tell you guys honestly it, it biased opinion okay but these are fun and informative films I mean they're the documentaries but if you've never been to the Sutro bathhouse you watch this movie uh, this documentary and you're gonna feel like you went to the Sutro bathhouse from when it was a bathhouse to a roller skating or a ice, ice skating um, to the Museum of Oddities and, and Antiquities. And then you get to watch it burn down. And, and then, yeah, it's like you see the whole cycle of the thing. Um, if, if someone wants to order some of these DVDs, uh, do you have online um, website yeah. or something they can go to? Yeah, our website is uh, novemberfire.com. So, you know, World Wide Web, November as in the month, and fire as in what happened to Sujo'sBaths.com. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that. And then also we do sell on eBay and Amazon if you're not, you know, if you don't trust our website uh, but yeah those are the ways to get it right now and then we're going to try and get most of the material up on Amazon uh, Prime so you can watch it uh, streamed but uh, uh, mostly it's just DVDs right now yeah uh, well they're very informative and interesting yeah. they're a lot of fun um, well, anything you're working on now or is it any new projects yeah I've been working on um, uh, a documentary on the Barbary Coast San Francisco's Barbary Coast oh. and um, uh, I but I, I got I got like three interviews in the can and I, I kind of knew exactly how it was going and I got a lot of material to cover it but then um, I got I fell into having to do all the um, work on uh, um, 
Creepy Coffee Movie Time. So I've been at, spent about a year now doing the first half of the episodes on Amazon and on DVD. But it was actually a good break because uh, since then I've learned a lot more about uh, the Barbary Coast. And um, uh, I was off on a lot of my history and what was really happening in the city early on so I got a better feel for it and I got a better idea of what's happening so it'll make for a better film it'll be more accurate which you with with documentary history you, you do your best and and the more you know it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and yeah. you got to whittle it down but but you are so also are uh, more informed about you can kind of give a, a good idea from the outside saying okay there's like three sources that say it went down this way there's one source that said it went down this way yeah. and this one source that went that said that went down this way is what most people repeat so it's probably not the truth. There's because I have other other sources that say it went down this way. Right. Um, so so I'm, I'm I'm kind of glad in a way that, that I have gotten a break because I'll come back with a with a better film for it. So that's well, that's what I'm working on next. I know it's a lot of work, and and you can tell by watching it, it's a labor of love, and you you do fine work, my friend. Thank you very much. So uh, you guys, honestly, check one or two of these uh, documentaries out, and. Uh, let us know what you think. And uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you. All right. Um, any last uh, things, Bob? No, I think that's pretty good. I mean, we're going back now to Creatures Con. And yeah, we're going to strap any last uh, things you want to throw out to the audience? No, just to keep enjoying stuff. Keep, uh, you know, it's times seem to be kind of cruddy right now. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, the things that make us happy and smile and, and, and we enjoy are the things that we should, you know, hold on to. And, and, uh, Stuff like this is great, so keep it up. Amen to that. Watch horror films. Keep America strong. That's right. right. All right. Back to the con. See you guys. So, yeah. So, Streffen, definitely uh, a big part of uh, the San Francisco Bay Area horror scene. Awesome. With with creepy coffee movie time. But uh, one of the kings of uh, the San Francisco Bay Area from Creature Features was John Stanley. And uh, John is... The best way to describe him, describe him is like a walking encyclopedia of motion pictures. Not just horror, sci-fi genre stuff, but just mm-hmm. motion pictures in general. Uh, he was a movie critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. He even did the crossword puzzles at one point. He put all the crossword TV puzzles guide. together. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, he's written numerous books like um, I Was a uh, TV Horror Host uh, mm-hmm. various iterations of the Creature Features movie guide. He did one on Westerns. He did one on uh, noir films uh, and a number of DVDs and things. But um, but yeah, John, I think, it, you know, between John and Bob Wilkins, they're a big part of us even being here, even doing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the people in, uh, in Northern California who... You know, and who have spread out anyone from, you know, Will the Thrill to Mr. Lobo to whoever. Right. Big impact they had on all these people. And yeah, he graciously sat down for, I think, a pretty long interview actually with us. He did. And, you know, the thing with John, uh, you know, he's just like Streffen and Mikey and and, uh, the rest of them. He's he's one of us, you know, and and uh He's lived a life that is interesting and diverse. Um, you'll find this interesting, Karen, but um, we'll, we'll play the interview in a minute. But he would watch five and six uh, horror movies uh, a week to, to try and keep up with that Creature Feature Guide, which he fu- eventually let go because he just couldn't keep up with uh, all the formats that's coming out in the movies and then on Netflix and then on Hulu. And then, you know, so it's just kind of like, ah. 
Oh, I still have my copy and I had, I had it autographed by him. So, you there know, you I st- still reference it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a great reference. I still, I, I have several copies <laughs> um, and he always, he's just a joy to talk to. If you guys ever bump into him at a convention or any of the guys that we interviewed tonight, um, please do. You'll, you'll enjoy it. And once again, we are back here at Creatures Con 2019. We have a special guest, John Stanley, a horror host and author. Uh, John, thank you for coming on to the podcast. How's the show going for you today? Well, Larry, thank you for the invitation to talk with you. Sure. It's gone very well. I'm quite amazed. This is our second annual presentation Mm -hmm. like this. Uh, where we're doing the show all by itself, mm-hmm. and uh, the turnout is utterly amazing. It's a good show. A lot of people today. A lot you know, of traffic. It's a yeah. good thing that over the years I've kept an A to Z list of fans who have talked to me, bought stuff from me, sent me letters or whatever, and so I'm able to contact them. And mm. for this show, I sent out 600 emails with the name of each individual at the top, I type in the name. Wow. And 300 uh, postcards. <laughs> nice. I, so, well, I'm a recipient to one of those postcards, okay, so thank you. <laughs> there have been quite a few people who have told me that without that card, they wouldn't be here. <clears throat> there you go. Yeah. Well, that's good. And and have you met with some of the uh, fans, I guess, at your table today? Oh, yeah. I know you got a lot of books out there. So. Uh, yes, yes. And something very ironic happened, Larry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, if I could share sure. it with you. Please, please. By, by uh, all means. I had the final copy of my uh, 2007 autobiography. I was a TV horror host. Mm-hmm. I had just one copy left. and I have two at home I'm going to keep in my file. Mm-hmm. And I sold it. About 10 minutes later, a fellow named Michael Munson mm-hmm. came walking up showed me his card from Grizzly Peak Press. They're in Kensington. Mm. And said, we'd like to reprint your autobiography. No kidding. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Ten minutes after Uh I'd sold the last copy. (laughs) So it looks like uh, we may have a deal for a reissue of this particular book. Uh, A couple of years ago, I began working on uh, a sequel uh, interviewing some some of the interviews with people that were not in the first book, mm-hmm. some horror stars and so on, and then some personal things came up and I was not able to do it. Uh, but I'm hoping that maybe I can at least update the new book and tell about how Bob and I came out of retirement back in the year 2000, mm-hmm. and we began to uh, uh, go to shows together. Uh, we would be at the Castro Theater each year for shows. Mm-hmm. Bob, you put on a number of shows oh, yes. yourself, yeah. which we were guests at over the years oh, yeah. at the Castro and so yeah. on. Right. And uh, it was just really a wonderful period until Bob's death. Mm-hmm. But even after that, we were able to keep the franchise going mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a new basis. So I would like to get that into the book and oh, ex- explain how that's done. Perhaps even do a documentary on DVD because I have footage of so many things that haven't been used. Mm. We took a lot of footage of Bob's funeral in 2009. Uh, we did a tribute to him three months later. We never used 
any footage from that. Mm. Some of the shows you right. did, Bob. Yeah, I have uh, some footage as well. At, I should get to uh, at at uh, AT and T Park. Right. Remember? Oh yeah. Uh, we'd like to try to take all of that and do a documentary called The Night Creature Features Rose from the Grave. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, I'm going to be seeing my cameraman editor next week. We're going to have lunch and we'll talk it over. That's great. So there might be a new book uh, and there might be a new DVD coming. And, and this is how many years after the, the last episode of the show? The show went off the air in August of 1984. Amazing. How many years is that? 35? <laughs> quite yeah, a few, yeah, quite a few. I can't count anymore, Bob. And I was going to say, John was actually the host of our very first Bay Area Film Events show over in Alameda. It was the Dynamation Celebration. And at that the was uh, our, Naval uh, at thing, the old right? Naval Base, oh, yeah. yeah. And that was our very first show. John was the host. Well, I so. met John and Bob uh, at the Parkway in Oakland with uh, Will Vajaro. The Parkway is where we started in, uh, it was October of 2000. Yes. There was a red carpet unfurled mm-hmm. right. <laughs> at the front door. Oh, yeah. And uh, Bob and I pulled up in a convertible. Mm-hmm. And uh, got out, and the fans were cheering us as we walked inside. <laughs> I, I remember it well, and it was it was something to, to experience. Yes. Um, let me ask you. Uh, I have a good many of the books. I, I have your uh, uh, autobiography as well as um, the uh, interviews that you had with Clint Eastwood. Uh, it's on. My oh, the Kindle. gang that shot up Hollywood. The gang that <laughs> yes. shot up Hollywood. Yeah. Um, What's your latest book that you have out uh, if, if uh, listeners are interested in, in uh, picking it up? Well, the last uh, two books to be published were called The Funniest Comedy Icons of the 20th Century. Okay. Uh, there, there were so many interviews I had done during my time at the San Francisco Chronicle mm-hmm. with famous comedians or comedians mm-hmm. that... Uh, I thought I would put together a collection of them, and uh, two books resulted. Book one starts with uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. Oh, wow. uh, Interviews with Lucille Ball, uh, Phyllis Diller, uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, There are just so many. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Wow. Uh, I wish I had a list here. To yeah, well, I, I, let me ask you, John. 75 if, uh, names. If folks wow. wanted to look you up online and, and purchase some of this stuff or just catch up on things, where can they find you? I have a website. Uh, it doesn't have everything for sale, mm-hmm. but it's called creaturesatlarge.com. Okay. And there's another website, stanleybooks.net. Okay which has a lot of history and information, and you can order some things from there also. Okay, well, we'll go ahead and put those uh, on our website as well, okay. so that when this podcast airs, folks can visit our webpage and look you up. Um, appreciate uh, all the years of uh, just entertaining us through interviews, working with the uh, paper and and your books and, and videos and personal appearances. Um, it, it just it's really amazing how this just keeps on keeping on sometimes I'm even a little amazed myself <laughs> when I look back on uh, how many years I, w- I was 33 years at the Chronicle oh wow uh, during a very important period through the 60s the 70s where our culture was constantly changing mm-hmm. 
In fact, there's a wonderful book out right now called Reporter's Notebook mm-hmm. by Duffy Jennings. It was put out by the Grizzly Peak. I just finished reading it last night. Duffy covered the Dan White murder case with oh, Moscone mm, and Milk. Right, right. Uh, he covered uh, the uh, Zodiac Killer case. Oh. He was a reporter deeply involved in that. Uh-huh. And he also uh, lived with the fire department for three weeks. Really? And wrote some amazing articles about what it's like to be a fireman. Uh-huh. He would go on the fire scenes with, with the fire crews. Yeah. That's cool. Duffy Jennings. Uh, related to a very famous writer named Dean Jennings. Mm-hmm. And his wife, uh, ex-wife, was uh, Cheryl Jennings on, I believe, uh, KPIX News. I think you're right. Oh, yeah. yeah, she yeah. was on for, I think, 20 years or more. Wow. Yeah. So he's written a very, it, it's a very good book. It gets into his personal, all of the, the difficulties of his personal life as well as his life at the Chronicle. Mm. Uh, later, he went to work for the Giants when oh, yeah. uh, Bob Lurie was the owner of the uh-huh. Giants, and he became the public director, pub- publicity director for the Giants for a good decade. Yeah, he had a very good yeah. career. <laughs> yeah, really. Definitely. So, uh, are you doing any more revisions on the uh, Creature Features movie guide? Or? Uh, we did six editions. Yeah. And... Uh, At the time, so much was happening in my life, there were changes going on, that I kind of let the projects go, and I kind of regret that in retrospect. I kind of wish I had uh, kept producing more books about the new movies coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the years that I was writing the movie guides, I would try to see as many as six or seven movies a week that might be on VHS tape, New movies opening in theaters right. in town, near, near, nearby, uh, wherever I could get a hold of a movie I hadn't mm. seen before. Yeah. So literally, there were thousands of movies. I, I was going to say, editions. and then Netflix, and now you have uh, things streaming. You know, it's just uh, between the movies and the videos and the streaming service and everything. You wouldn't get to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd just be watching all of the. Well, the you content. know, uh, let me put it this way, Larry. I worked until I was 74 years old. Mm. I had steady work, and then I finally decided, well, you're supposed to retire at 65. What am I doing here? Oh, say. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to uh, give myself mm-hmm. a break. Uh, I've enjoyed a lot of movies I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up uh, with a father who loved movies, and in the 40s and 50s, we were always going. He especially loved war movies, mm-hmm. even though he had been badly wounded in World War II. Mm. He still loved war movies, and he could make jokes about it. You know, a lot of people don't talk about their war experiences, but yeah. he would joke about it. Uh, and Western, he loved Western movies, and uh, I, I still remember on a Sunday night, we saw Sands of Iwo Jima with John Wayne. Oh, yeah. And on Monday night, a night I wasn't supposed to go to see the movies, I was in school, uh-huh. uh, we went to see 12 O'Clock High with Gregory Peck. <laughs> That was the way my life was. <laughs> okay. Can't complain. I was seven years old when they re-released uh, Gone with the Wind. 
-huh. It was the first time you could see the film since 1939. And I can't remember exactly how did I know I got to see this movie, but I came home to my mom. It was playing at the Fox Theater in, in Napa, and we lived uh, out, out in the country, mm -hmm. about six miles away. And I told my mother, I'm going to see Gone with the Wind. <laughs> he said, no, you're not going to go. You, have to, you can't go on a, on a school night. Yeah. I put my coat on. I said, I'm going. And I went out the door, and I went up to uh, Soda Canyon Road. <laughs> which led to Silverado Trail. Uh -huh. And I heard a truck pull up behind me. I turned around. It was my father. <laughs> and he says, get in the truck. He says, no, I'm going to go see Gone with the Wind. He says, get in the truck. We're both going to go see Gone with the Wind. <laughs> and we did. We went to the Fox and saw, in 1947, the first re-release of Gone with the Wind. That is great. Yeah. How times have changed. You wait almost uh, 10 or more years for to a see film a to film. come out, and now you could just turn on Netflix or YouTube or something. And or you could see it in the theater uh, and then go home. Uh, a week later, you can watch it on your TV. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. I used yeah. to watch things like Creature Features or, you know, the movie of the week, and I'd think, well, I missed the first half hour. I'll never be able to watch it again. <laughs> and now everything can be yeah. seen anytime anywhere yes it's, yeah. it's so amazing how things have changed well it's amazing how the creature host got started uh there was vampira right. in 1954 right. but she was one of a kind there was no other horror host anywhere in the country and she didn't last very long what a year it's a season or two i, right. I think so yeah. right yeah and of course she, and she's starting uh, plan nine from outer space right but, it wasn't until Universal Studios released all of the horror movies from the 30s and 40s, starting with uh, Frankenstein, The Mummy, Dracula, mm -hmm. uh, all of the series that were made, The Wolfman. When they came to television in 1957, that's when the stations realized, hey, if we can get a host to introduce all of these films... We can imitate Vampira. We can continue the, in that tradition oh, okay. which she started. And uh, there it grew. It exploded and went uh, to all the TV stations across the country. And that eventually would lead to Bob Wilkins in 1971. Yep. Uh, and so on. Yeah. And, and it's never been and the same since. And it's never quite gone uh, away, nope. has it? That's right. We look at all the horror hosts here. Oh, it seems there's more horror hosts now than there ever has been. And then, so. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, Miss Misery. We have Lord Blood Raw. Right. They're all uh, still very active. Yeah. And uh, Vincent. Vincent and uh, Tangella and oh, Livingston. Oh, that's right. Livingston. Yeah. They're wonderful. It's all, you know, Balrog was, was on for a bit. Balrog and No Name. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are yeah. all local uh, shows here, but even nationwide. I know I was happy we got MeTV back on my cable system so I can watch Sven Gulli again. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he was off the airways for a while, at least Is in the Is he Bay back Area. on coffee, I believe, on... Uh, uh, not it's coffee, on, uh, 44. 44.3. Yeah. I have a number at home of, uh, yeah. of the station. It's a substation of, KBH, of uh, KCBW, I guess it is now, or KBCW. Yeah. 44, yeah. anyway. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's a good time to be a horror host and a fan. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a pleasure talking to yeah. you and catching up with you. Well, thank you, Larry. Thank you, Bob. It's You're been it's great. Yeah, you got it's... my brain going. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we hope to get to talk to you again sometime in the future. Uh, okay. Not just here at the shows. Um, appreciate you stopping by. Just give me a call. Okay, I'll we try will. To be available. <laughs> Thank you as very much. As long as my psychiatrist says it's okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Great. And now we're at the part of our show where we do our sensor sweep, where we introduce the latest and greatest finds, gadgets, shows, whatever we think that you find people will be interested in. And this week, Commander Larry has something quite unique to share with us. Larry, do you want to tell us about it? Thank you, Karen. And unique is an understatement. Um, we had the good fortune of being at CreaturesCon 2019, and our friend uh, Mike McCreary um, has a final a vinyl figure out that he took. You know, if you were to take like five or six things that you love and create a figure out of those things that that you uh, are just a fan of what would that figure look like? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Mecha Creech. So there are um, the main parts of this figure. Uh, the right side is the creature from the Black Lagoon. The left side is 90% Mecha Godzilla. And then the hands and arms and chest and back have various symbols or uh, items related to skateboarding. Uh, there, there's a um, reference. I think it's an Iron Maiden cover. It's a skeleton coming out of his chest. There's an alien on his back. Uh, this thing is just <laughs> awesome. And, you know, I, I'd seen it online because uh, I'm a fan of the Mantique store. And I've seen Mikey around at conventions. I never really got to know him that well. Um, but one of the great things about um, networking, you know, between Karen and Bob and, and, and all the, you know, people in our, our little monster club is meeting people like Mikey or Mike. And um, yeah, this, this figure is pretty cool. So Karen, I'll, I'll make sure I give you some good photos of Mecha Creech. Uh, From every angle. Those pictures. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's all things to all people all things to all people you know it was like if you were to take like i like tacos pizza and a popsicle what would my dinner look like I mean, that's, <laughs> that's this creature um it is just it's it's awesome it's amazing and uh yeah you know he's gonna have several um different color options on this i got the green one there are some painted versions um we'll put his his information uh up on the web page you guys check it out if it's your uh you know, dish, go ahead and go for it. If not, hey, you know, uh, you can always um, check out next podcast and see what we have coming across on our sensor sweep. Well, on the uh, the green Mecha Creech, is that glow in the dark or no? It does not, but oh. it glows in the daylight. <laughs> that would that would have been the piece de resistance is to make well, it glow He, in the he dark. may come out with a glow in the dark version, but this sucker is like bright lime green it does everything but glow in the dark yeah it does everything and has everything on it but pizza taco and popcorn so yeah that's well, hey, the I, sequel i would love to give it, <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to give a shout out though to uh to friend of the show lord blood raw 
and also to oh, Tom yeah. Worsh for putting on yeah. Creatures Con and having us there and letting us uh, just do crazy stuff at a Planet 8 table. A uh, whole lot of fun. I'm sure we'll probably be there next year and hopefully Karen Definitely. will be with us. Yes. We'll, try. We will make it happen to blazes with the Planet 9 vermin that keep our walker away from these fun events. Damn them! Damn them all to hell! On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.